how are we helping our kids develop the skills that foster better social connection? And it really is a bunch of things. And again, you're doing this all the time. Welcome to Fluster Clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Lynn, I have something I want to discuss with you today that I've been thinking about a lot and our role as parents, because you emphasize the importance of connection as being sort of the pillar of joy and mental wellness. But how do we equip our kids for that connection and what happens and what do parents do when you notice that your kids are having harder times connecting? Because maybe there are certain skills they need. Other kids might find them awkward, or you can tell they're having a harder time making friends. And I just want to talk about that and hear what your experience is as a clinician and what we can do as parents to make sure that this part of our kids' emotional development is on a good track. So that's an excellent question. And it's a big question. And you're exactly right that if People have difficulty connecting. That is often the source of a lot of challenges socially and emotionally. It really is about connection. You know, we've talked about loneliness before and how that really just, after all these years as a therapist, that still breaks my heart when somebody's lonely. And a lot of it does have to do with not having the ability or the skills or having difficulty finding people to connect with. And I think what you're talking about is that what if you notice that your child doesn't have those skills or you notice things that make it harder for other kids to connect with your child too? That's one of the things that we want to pay attention to. Yeah. I think if you look at an adult who's pretty emotionally disconnected or even a young adult or a teen, there might be a different approach. But for the parents who are listening and the parents who are so proactive and so attuned to what is the emotional level of skills that the family has, the ones they need to work on. If we were to go back in time, there could be certain skills that might have been missing, like in the elementary and earlier years, that we would want to go back and help strengthen because those trajectories might be easier if they were there. Yeah. And I think as you think about it, all of us can sort of think about adults that we've known, like at work or at college or our neighbors, where we think like this person is clueless as to how annoying they are. (laughs) Right? Exactly. I think about my husband and I and your brother, we've talked about what we think our role as parents is. And we've had conversations where we felt like it was important to help raise kids that people wanted to be around. And so when annoying patterns inevitably show up with most people at different ages, we were sort of on it. Like, okay, this is kind of a pattern that's like not awesome. (laughs) And that came up. Yeah, I have patterns in on my list. What are some of the patterns that you hear about or that you witness? Because you're still right in the middle of it, right? I am. I don't know how this will turn out. 
<laughs> right? Like I'm still in it. So I don't know the ending. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. My kids are almost 23 and almost 25, but you've got kids in middle school and high school. Right. Right. So you're still in it. If you've been observing your children or observing their peers, as you say this, I have a few patterns that I know for sure jump out at me. What are some of the patterns that jump out at you? Okay. So this one might be unique to us focusing on. I mean, more parents be like, oh, right. But we were really focused on this one thing just because my late mother was really guilty of this. And it was something that, you know, we adored her. But there was a habit that she had that she carried on to adulthood that, you know, was the first thing that we would ridicule in good humor and good intention. But also we felt like it was something that if my grandmother had told her to stop doing, it would have made a difference. And that is, my mom was all about baby talk or funny voices a lot. And that carried over when she was, you know, an adult. I noticed that if she would tell me she loved me, she often would still say those like important loving conversations in a silly voice. Hmm. Like, oh, I love you, Robin. Well, I mean, not to that extreme because <laughs> she that... pull out her Elmer Fudd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. So I learned as the recipient of that, that when someone would say straight out, I love you, that felt so much better than hearing it in a baby voice. So when both of my kids started speaking in funny voices in our family's conversation, my husband came up with a mantra that with our firstborn that then we sort of knew to look for with our secondborn, which was authentic voice, please. Mm. So we would always say authentic voice, please. And then they would stop the baby talk or the silly voices or whatever. And then they would speak in their normal voice. And I just always felt that was a part speaking in your authentic voice, I think is a part of connection in a more authentic way. Well, yeah. And if we just look at what are the things that are annoying, right? So if we think about this as behaviors that are annoying, parents will say, oh my God, the baby chalk is driving me nuts. And my family, in terms of being able to express oneself without using voices, we have what's called a shtick warning. Because my father-in-law, who is no longer with us, had this whole shtick that he would go into. So he would use this voice and it wasn't baby talk, but it was not authentic. And interestingly, I can remember with him having probably two or three conversations in which he was authentic with me, where he was speaking to me like I was an adult human being and he was an adult human being. Everything else was this shtick that he did. And it was absolutely a way to not talk about difficult things. You know, as I think about it, I didn't really know him very well because he never really let me in. And there was great difficulty in him expressing himself. And not surprisingly, it was passed down to my husband. And so we have in our family, we say shtick warning, which basically means like, stop using that voice or stop avoiding this conversation or stop conveying, you know, I mean, it's, if I said to my husband right now, shtick warning, he knows exactly what that means. And my kids do too. Mm -hmm. So with boys, they didn't do baby talk, but there was, like you say, there was this way of communicating that wasn't really genuine. It wasn't authentic. It was doing a shtick. 
if we're making a list of behaviors or things that we want parents to pay attention to in order to foster connection, I hadn't thought of that one. That wasn't on my list, but I think that's, as you say it, that's an enormously important thing to pay attention to with your kids. Not just because baby talk is annoying, but because it gets in the way of connection. Right. So there's like the baby talk pattern, the whining pattern, which that one I think is more common for parents to just like, oh my gosh, can't handle it. So parents might say, you know, stop the whining right now. I do think the baby talk, some people might be listening and saying, I never thought of it that way. But I think the way my mom lived her life, it was a really easy illustration of what a crutch it was. Yeah, it does become a crutch. The whining thing. So it was interesting. I was just listening to this podcast and Fran Lebowitz. I don't know if people are familiar with Fran Lebowitz, but she's from New York. She's lived in New York for her whole life. She's known as sort of this quick wit and she's really negative and she complains a lot. So the person who was interviewing her asked her about complaining. And she said the reason that she likes complaining or the reason that she values complaining is that it's completely honest communication. When you are complaining, you're being honest. But she made a differentiation between complaining and whining. She said she has no tolerance for whining. So it was interesting that whining is the tone of voice. And again, it's sort of that idea of sort of, I want to express what I need to, but I'm going to do it like this, right? And that means that you're not heard and you're not conveying what you need or what you want. You're trying to, but you're not really conveying it in a way that can be accepted. I also feel like whining has an element of being very passive in it. It's a way to try and get your needs met by wearing somebody down, right? So if your child has a behavior, any kind of behavior, where the goal is for them to get their needs met by somebody surrendering to the annoying behavior, then you really want to pay attention to that. And whining would be in that category. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's whining, there's voices. When we come back, I have another one that we should talk about. Okay. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance. So literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C 
dot com slash fluster zocdoc dot com slash fluster picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it it's fantastic and that's what you get with masterclass i recently listened to matthew walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep I loved Bobby Brown's masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. You know, when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you, well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique, it's personal, and it lasts forever. I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether you're song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash 
slash fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. Okay, so now back to the show. The next thing that came up for us as parents that I feel is important to think about, and you actually had something similar too, is when children are trying to talk, but they're like explosively hyperactive and being hyper, it's like that difference between why is hyper annoying, like passionate, enthusiastic or not, right? So we had one, one of our kids go through a hyper phase and we worked on it because it was hyper energy is kind of, I don't know, it's not fun to be around in a way, but passionate, enthusiastic energy is. That's inspiring. That was a tricky one for us too. Well, and I think that one of the things that you're looking at when you're looking at that kind of behavior or you're looking at that pattern is if we're talking about this as connection and what impedes connection is that it doesn't really allow for room for somebody else to participate. Yes. So when I see hyper behavior or when I see somebody who's doing this and doing that, and they're very excited, blah, 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 there's no give and take. And so when we're looking at behaviors that put people off, so here's an example that's similar to that is that if you've got somebody as an adult, we've all had this experience as somebody as adult who just talks about themselves all the time and doesn't ask any questions about you, right? You're at a cocktail party or you're with a colleague or you meet with a friend, you're going for a walk with a friend and there is this hyper kinetic energy which doesn't allow you to break in in any way. Right. So people in your orbit, people in your immediate vicinity become observers of you rather than you being in a give and take, rather than you having a relationship, rather than you sharing something. And that becomes exhausting. You know, I would actually say that behavior returns when you have children. Like if you as a socially savvy adult learn how to share those kind of conversations and back and forth, I noticed when I was a young mom, not a young mom, but when I was a mom of a young baby, (laughs) right? When we're home isolated with kids and then we're finally with friends, that excitement makes I find me and other moms, we would do that. And I know we wouldn't have done that 10 years prior. It was like that, oh my gosh, I'm out of the house and I'm talking to a grown up and blah, blah, blah. And it was very easy to get in that pattern. And so you see, it's still within all of us if we aren't aware about it. Right. There's always a balance that we want to strike, right? Because we want our kids to be heard. And But the problem is if you don't help a child think about the very basic skill that when you're meeting somebody or when you're in a social environment is that you ask that person questions about them. Mm -hmm. And if you're with somebody who doesn't do that, I have people in my life, my mother-in-law, for example, who would never listen to this podcast, she never asks about other people. She is a stream of giving a report. She talks about things that have nothing to do with you. And there is no give and take. There's no interaction. And there's never been any connection in your relationship either. Right. I mean, that's because that's what it's required to connect with other people. Correct. To talk with and not talk at. 
we want kids to develop that awareness of connection, which means, you know, I guess what we could say is if we're talking about skills that we want to teach kids, it's how to be inquisitive of other people, how to be curious about what other people do, to ask questions, and also how to be a good listener. Mm -hmm. And if you're with your child and you are not modeling that, for one, but also if you are so entranced, if you are so delighted with the running commentary of your child, because as parents with our kids, we do find it delightful. Just keep in mind that everybody else is not going to find it as delightful as you. Here's sort of a silly example, but I think it's a good example of this is, have you ever been over to somebody's house and there's kids and the child, not your child, there's somebody else's child there, and they want to do a show. They want to do a performance, <laughs> right? And so all the adults are required to watch the child's performance for as long as the child wants to do the performance. And really, like the parents think it's delightful. But after about two minutes, all the other adults are done. But there's no awareness of that. Well, sometimes the parents are aware. For sure. But it's uh, some of the parents lack the ability to read the room and understand what is the appropriate amount of time I'm expecting these people to indulge in this. Right. You know, and what we're talking about is that how are we helping our kids develop the skills that foster better social connection? Mm -hmm. And it really is a bunch of things. And again, you're doing this all the time. And I also just want to say for the record that there are some kids that this comes very naturally to. And there are some kids where this is really very difficult. If you have a child on the spectrum, for example, being able to read the room and figure out how to interact in that way is something that's really hard and that you have to teach in small doses. But that's what was so great about that show, Love on the Spectrum, because if you don't have a lot of exposure or personal friends who are on the spectrum, I thought it was such a loving way to show, first of all, the power and effectiveness of skill building that the families work on together. And that was actually the takeaway that I had watching that show of how everyone should be doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, when I watched that show, which I thought was great, if you haven't watched it, everybody, it's just if you want to feel good, it's a show that makes you feel good. And also it just helps you be so empathic to people who don't think or people who are not the same as us, which is always such a helpful thing. But it really was about how do we in a loving, supporting, encouraging way help our kids develop the skills that they're going to need in order to connect. That was really what it showed. Well, one of the things that I think I've, that's been so a game changer that I've learned from you is to label things as skills. I think you always say like you listen for the I don't knows and you listen for other tell-all signs when you have clients in therapy because you're then going to hone in on the area where you're going to talk about the positive skill to build. Correct. I always say, so I'm listening for what are the resources that I'm going to use and build? What are the resources that I can use? Because everybody has resources, families have resources. And then where is the gap in their learning? Or where is the skill that we need to work on developing? So it's a combination of me pulling out the resources, and then also looking for the gap. And oftentimes, the gap is what brought them into my office in the first place, right? The gap is the place where they're feeling less equipped, or ill-equipped. And it's not about changing people. And it's not about saying, oh, everybody should have the same set of skills. Oh, of course. Right. But it's looking to say, okay, so if the goal is to create connection, 
how do we do that? And what are the skills that we want to teach for sure? Mm -hmm. Well, the other area of these kinds of social skills that I think were far more common and discussed our generation, you know, we're Gen Xers. Parenting was pretty hands off in many ways, but we were still taught it is ideal to offer a firm handshake and look people in the eye, like the physical aspects of things that was still expected to be taught and modeled in many families. Like these are the physical behaviors that you do when you interact. But then these emotional skills that just really wasn't talked about so much. Right. We use the term manners, right? So it was about having good manners. And I was laughing with Bob the other day because when I would answer the phone, which doesn't really happen, like how many kids now answer, like kids don't even have a landline, right? You don't answer phone, but everybody had a landline. And so we were taught that you answered the phone and you said, Lynn speaking, like every time we picked up the phone, it's just automatic. And then the person would ask for my mom or my dad, because they usually weren't calling for me. And that I would say, just a minute, please. I mean, it's so rode in my head. I'm pulling up this neuropathic, just a minute, please. And then you put down the phone and you went and got your parent. There was no like holding the phone and going like, Mrs. Smith is on the phone, right? But that was just manners. Yes, I always said one moment, please, instead of just a minute. (laughs) Everyone just think about how cute Robin and I were when we were six years old and we were answering the phone. Lynn speaking. Just a minute, please. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, so it was manners. It was courtesy. And now I think, I don't know how much, I guess certain families still focus on manners, but it really is also the emotional skills. And I do think actually my parents were, particularly my mom was pretty much on top of that because- I was somebody who talked too much, which may not surprise any of you. And there was a phrase that we used in my house toward me. My mother would say, Linny, I need you to modulate. I need you to modulate. That was like a nice way to say, like, you got to read the room here. Like, you need to bring it down. You got to make some space for other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole, like, talk with, not talk at. Correct. And you say, like, that hyper energy. You need to modulate making me aware of that give and take, which I think in my little head, I wasn't aware of. And still now, like, do I like to be on stage and talk uninterrupted for two hours? You betcha. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Give me an audience. So, but that was a skill that my parents were, particularly my mom, was really paying attention to. Mm -hmm. That's really great. Do you feel like this approach to parenting is categorized as like, a healthy evolution of parenting? Or do you feel like the fact that my husband and I talk about this and focus on it is kind of like hyper parenting in a way, you know, and it's okay, you can be honest. I mean, do you feel like that's progress or like a symptom of how we're trying to So I would definitely say that it's progress because it used to be be seen and not heard and that kids were just told that there were rules that they had to follow and there really wasn't help with those things. And if kids were having difficulty socially, a lot of times they were just sort of left on their own to sort of figure that out. But it's interesting because I guess I would probably say right now that it's an issue at this point of finding the balance because I'm all for autonomy. I'm all for letting kids figure things out on their own in some ways. Remember that one of the things that we see that really helps executive functioning is free unstructured play. 
having conversations with kids and pointing these things out, I think is great. It's probably a quantity versus quality issue. I think these things should be talked about. I just don't think they probably should be talked about all the time and as much as they are right now with parents. I also think that there is an interesting thing going on where parents are really paying attention to their developing their children's skills and teaching them how to express their emotions and making room for those emotions and validating and all of that kind of stuff, which is great. But I think there is a little bit of a problem right now with recognizing if your child needs to develop some skills because they are doing things that are making it hard for them to connect. So I think parents are very quick to look at the problem was with other people rather than the problem is perhaps their child doesn't have those skills, Mm -hmm. which is a really hard thing to do. But that's, I think, where we've gone in a direction. I'll give you an example. Going away to college and having a roommate, right? So if a parent says to me they have a difficult roommate, the immediate solution oftentimes is that my child should not have to deal with that difficult roommate. But I never hear, well, maybe every once in a while, but I never hear parents saying, my kid is going to be a difficult roommate. (laughs) Right. Right. In terms of group projects, here's another place where I look at it, that doing group projects like in elementary school and middle school and even in high school, a lot of parents will say, I don't want my child to do group projects because it's very difficult for them because other people, blah, 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 blah. And part of what I often discover is that it's very difficult for them, not because other people, blah, 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 because they have a lot of difficulty doing group projects. And instead of saying, I need to help my child develop the skill of collaboration or cooperation or not being in charge or accepting that somebody doesn't have the skills that they have, parents will basically say, I don't want my kid to do group projects because it doesn't work for my kid. And that's something that's different, I think, than it was 30 years ago. Right. It's looking at the missing skills of everybody else, Mm -hmm. but it's hard to sometimes see those skills missing from our own. Correct. And if your child is doesn't have those skills, then wanting to change the external environment so that your child doesn't struggle rather than focusing on what are the skills that you need to develop. I talk to a lot of parents and certainly there are a good chunk of parents, particularly after they've been working and paying attention to this, that totally recognize that their child has some behaviors that are problematic. Of course, of course, of course. Let's take it outside of the clinical context. Out in the world, I hear a lot of parents really having a bit of a blind spot or not paying attention to what you need to do if your child has those patterns that push other kids away. Sportsmanship, for example. Sure. Even sportsmanship, but also if your child is one where other kids are having a hard time connecting to or not wanting to socialize with. I think that's such a very hard situation where I think many parents might not feel that there's something they can do. Mm -hmm. Do you think there is something they can do, like working with kids who just need more instruction on being social with their peers? Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the things that is that I talk to parents a lot about is that it really is okay to just talk, again, lovingly and with a lot of empathy about where the issues arise. So if you have a child and you notice that 
when kids come over to play, they take over or they're not good at listening to the other children or, you know, whatever rigidity comes out because that's a very common thing. It is really okay to say to that child, you know, here's what I noticed. And I know that play day didn't go very well. Let's look and see how we can work on that a little bit. The term we would use if we were talking about it in other areas is constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. And how do we offer constructive criticism, which allows a child to recognize that this is something that they need to work on? And parents feel uncomfortable with it, particularly with kids that are socially anxious. Parents often, very often, the research is very clear that parents struggle with the same thing. So they may not even know how to teach that skill. Exactly. Well, when we come back, let's talk about what happens when parents themselves recognize that they don't feel very skilled in a lot of social situations. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Okay, we're back. So Lynn, what if you're listening to this and you feel, I know you don't like labels of certain types of anxiety, but a lot of people are very willing to say, I'm socially anxious. So if you are socially anxious and you feel like, well, I don't really feel like I'm that equipped to help my kids. I'm sure people feel that way. And there's always circumstances that parents will feel that way. How do we approach that? Well, so the first thing is, if it's really a problem, if you're really noticing that your social anxiety is keeping you from connecting, if maybe you are 
constructing your family activities or doing things based on your inability to step into social situations, it really is okay to get some help with that. And of course, as I say all the time, I don't see kids alone. It is really helpful if you have a child who's struggling socially, who you recognize there's a lot of anxiety, they don't want to participate in things. It really is okay for you and your child together to get some coaching, to get some help with that, and to talk very directly with your child about how you understand and struggle with some of the same things. So you don't want to make it all about you. But you really can say, you know what, you and I are are alike in this way. And when I was younger, it was difficult for me to go and do these things, or I never went to camp because I was afraid of this, or, and I want to make sure that you develop some of the skills that I didn't or that I don't have. So let's think about how we can do that. Now, what that means then as a parent is that you have to learn, you have to do some of your own learning, some of your own diving into this about how to develop the social skills that make you uncomfortable. The things that you have to do, you are going to have to do things that make you uncomfortable and you want to talk to your kids about that. You want to say, okay, so you know what? I am going to volunteer to do this thing or I stepped up to do this project at work or I'm going to go do this thing and I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm absolutely going to be uncomfortable. So I'm going to tell you how it goes. Or let's step in and do this thing together. And both of us are going to feel anxious. Our worry, right? It goes back to saying our worry is going to tell us we can't do it. And maybe our heart is going to be pounding and our tummy is going to feel upset. Model, model, model. You don't have to talk all the time about this, but look for opportunities to model. I've worked with plenty of anxious moms and dads over the years, as you can imagine. And one of the things that I really want their kids to see is them stepping into situations in which they feel really uncomfortable and then they're able to handle it. And then there's a little post-game analysis. So the parent says to the child, oh my God, that was so hard for me, but I feel so proud of myself that I did it. So it's figuring out how are you going to model this? There was an article that I saw recently. It was posted on Facebook or something. And they said, my social anxiety means that I'm not going to have birthday parties for my kids. And it went viral, right? And everybody had an opinion on it. And I read that thinking, okay, so what are you showing your kids there? You're saying to your kids, look, I am so socially anxious. We're going to have wonderful parties for you. We're going to have fun for you, but we're going to do it on the terms of my social anxiety. And we're going to figure out how I can make my anxiety not totally interfere with your birthday party, but my anxiety is definitely calling the shots here. Yeah, I was about to say, my anxiety is in charge of your birthday party planning. My party consultant is my anxiety. So I'm going to consult with my anxiety and come up with a plan that works for me that hopefully you will also find, you know, fun and enjoyable. But really, the part of me that's going to be in charge of this is my social anxiety. So you really do want to pay attention to that. There's also some really significant research that shows that a parent's untreated, undealt with, unmanaged social anxiety has a significant impact on the skills that their kids develop. So you're far more likely to have a socially anxious kid if you are modeling that behavior. Here's a question that I have for you, because I feel like when we start talking about social anxiety, that's a huge topic. We could do a whole episode on the birthday parties. I think we should. We should. Okay. But getting back to the connection aspect of things, even if you are a parent that has social anxiety, 
And you are that kind of parent who the anxiety sort of calls the shots. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't those moments tucking your kids in or sitting on the sofa, wouldn't those moments still be not necessarily a representation of social anxiety, but an assessment of the connection skills that everyone's showing up with that we should be thinking about? Yeah. I mean, you know, we don't have to put it into the terms of you have social anxiety. I think back to where we kind of started with this, the assignment that I would give all the parents listening is to just do a little inventory and say, okay, so how are my kids doing with their social connection? How are they doing with their social skills? And taking it a step further, I'm sorry I'm interrupting you, but I guess I didn't realize this when we started this conversation, but how is the family internally Mm -hmm. showing up on the connection scorecard? You're meaning not with peers, but you're meeting your own family dynamic. Well, there's like a connection, right? Because if you as a family can really connect, then let your kids go off into the world and figure it out. Mm -hmm. I guess that's actually what I think in our family, that's what we sort of do. We're not, there's like a term social engineering parents where you're like focused on this. That's not really who we are. We are so much more attentive to how we're we're a family of four. How does our family of four interact and show up? That's what we're sort of really paying attention to because then if we're working on those skills, then I think it's up to them because they're a little bit older now to take those skills and go out in the world. Yep, absolutely. And this is where, you know, we talk about sibling relationships and all the things that you learn from the interactions in your family, for sure. I mean, that's where it starts. That's where the modeling is. How do people treat other people? Then having them take those skills out into the world, for sure. So, yeah, that's a good point. So we can focus on, okay, so how is my kid doing with friends? But we really want to focus on how are our family members doing with each other? Right. So then if a parent says, I have a child who does this very annoying habit, then that's obviously like something very much worth observing. And actually, listeners have written to you about the variety of habits that maybe are anxiety driven. Sometimes they are. And other times they just might need simple instruction. Right. And simple awareness, right? So we can't expect kids and a lot of adults either to be so insightful and so self-aware that they recognize that they're doing the thing that they're doing that's annoying. That's a lot to ask of a child. Remember, it's not about being critical. It's not about hammering something. It's not about being on top of this kid because they have this habit. It's about constructive criticism. Discipline means to teach. It truly means teaching kids and making them aware of how they need to interrupt those patterns. Just like my mom saying to me, Lenny, modulate, right? Oh, geez, I'm talking too much. Or if you're playing a game, family board nights and playing games and helping your kids develop that skill of being a good sport, of being able to tolerate losing, right? We talk, parents will say, oh, I just let my kid win all the time because it's so terrible when they lose. Well, that's not going to work so well out in the world. Right. So really paying attention to all of those family interactions. And the family that works on helping the child who hates losing, if they get to the point where they can play a family board game and everyone is okay at the end, then that child has learned how to take those skills out with other kids. Correct. Yep. And one of the things, and again, we could do a whole episode on this too, is that when you have those behaviors within a family, it absolutely impacts sibling relationships. 
It does. I'd love to hear that. Okay. Next episode, we got to talk about sibling relationships. Okay. So think about that, parents. Just think about those behaviors. You don't have to go over the top on this. Kids aren't perfect. You know, not everybody is going to be fabulous at everything. And we have a lot of different things that kids are dealing with. You have a child with ADHD. You have a child who's on the spectrum. You have a child with maybe they have some physical illness that they're dealing with that makes it tricky. But just think about the basics of connection and just pay attention to the skills in the normal course of your family life that maybe you can say, oh, that's annoying. And look at your family, your own family of origin. You know, it really is interesting. Like Robin looked at her mom. I can look at my father-in-law. I can look at the impact that had on my husband. It really is just insightful. Just be curious about this, right? I don't want you to freak out about this. I just want you to be curious about this because this is just as our moms taught us how to answer the phone properly. We are teachers of our children and paying attention to these habits and these skills goes a long way for helping your kids connect. And of course, we really are trying to go after loneliness and replace that with really helpful, positive, authentic connection. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Bree. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.